This is a Founding Media podcast. Welcome back to Defense Innovation from Tanks to Teleportation. I'm your host, Dan Dillard. In this series, we explore the intersection of technology, business, and national security with leaders of the Defense Innovation Unit, part of the U.S. Department of Defense. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Zach Walker. And today, we have a guest with a particularly impressive resume, Steve Wirt. Steve is a Program Executive Officer for the Air Force Life Cycle Management Center, where he leads more than 3,500 airmen, government civilians, and support contractors in the acquisition of software and weapon systems, and works closely with the DIU to create new innovation for the Air Force. Let's just jump right into the exciting conversation with Zach and Steve. Mr. Wirt, first, I just want to say it's an honor to have you on our podcast today. We really appreciate it. And also, thank you for about 30 years of service to our nation, both as a uniformed Air Force officer and now as an Air Force senior civilian. It's it's very impressive to see your background. And I would like to, if possible, talk a bit more about what it means to be Program Executive Officer for Digital. It's a huge deal in the United States Air Force. And if you could, for the audience, just explain a bit, what is the PEO? What does that mean? What do they do? Uh, your comments are too kind. Um, it's a, a, a portfolio of uh, programs, and there are probably uh, 14 or 15 program executive officers in the Air Force. And the life cycle management of our systems uh, is the responsibility of those PEOs. Um, they, uh, all, all of the PEOs know each other. We've all done uh time together in the past and um uh the portfolios differ though so uh there's a portfolio focused on for example mobility aircraft um another focused on fighter bombers um our portfolio in digital is really diverse it's it's geographically diverse i have uh, sizable teams in about 10 different states and its uh, content is diverse. It 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 spans uh, from command and control to uh, air air traffic systems to weather. <laughs> um, <laughs> we don't control the weather, but we have a lot of systems that uh, measure and predict. Steve, in doing uh, research for the show, I was just looking at the long list of accomplishments. One of the things that always piques my interest when interviewing a guest is just kind of taking us through the the uh, motivation. Uh, I noticed that you started, uh, you were once a student here in Austin, the University of Texas. You mind briefly taking us from what it was having the mindset of a student and, and then taking you down the path that you are now? Yeah, so my my undergraduate degree was in engineering from the University of Florida, um, and I, uh, I I spent about six years in the laboratory, uh, which is very hands on work. Uh, and then the Air Force sponsored me for my master's degree at UT Austin, which I loved. Austin's a great city. Um, the uh, the the degree itself uh, was in the mechanical engineering department, but really it was in operations research and industrial engineering. And what that did for me was uh, it gave me problem solving skills 
uh, I left UT Austin with a master's degree feeling like I could model and simulate or optimize or figure out an answer with uncertainty bounds to any problem. And uh, uh, that, that has served me incredibly well in uh, dealing with problems in, in, a, in our programs and portfolio. Well, I'm, as I'm wrapping my head around some of the other things I've read, um, the significance and importance of the work that you do at, with DIU and also, I mean, obviously PEO Digital, I read that you lead like 3,500 airmen, government civilians, support contractors, and you're, uh, as you explained, in the acquisition of software, weapon systems, and the standardization and dissemination of agile software throughout the Air Force. For a civilian like myself, it really sounds like it comes right out of Hollywood. So it's really interesting to talk about. You mind walking us through uh, what your typical day looks like? Uh, typical day. Uh, a lot of meetings, that's for sure. And uh, in this unique uh, environment right now, uh, it's it's really been interesting to see how quickly we were able to adapt and still be uh, productive. So uh, uh, obviously, aircraft depot uh, work has to be in-person work. And to some degree, test center work has to be in-person work. But what we do really lends itself to continue to operate virtually. And so our, we're estimating our productivity is between 90 and 100%, even though we're max telework. And uh, even then, there are some examples like Kessel Run, where their productivity actually went up as they went max telework because there were fewer distractions and less, less commuting time. So there are actually some advantages in some areas, especially where uh, they're software intensive. And uh, I think the, the whole software topic is, is interesting. It, what le- it's what led to our portfolio being re- renamed. It, it was Battle Management. It's now uh, PEO Digital, of course. Um, it's, it's in part the Air Force realization that uh, over time, everything is becoming software controlled. Everything. You mentioned Kessel Run, and I hope we can talk a bit more about that in a few minutes because that's really where Defense Innovation Unit was involved in in transitioning a prototype to a to a program of record or a PEO. But I'd like to talk a bit first about some of the other programs you were involved in because I think it's important to get that perspective on really what you have to deal with in some of these massive programs. So looking at your bio, some of the programs you were involved in, and I'm sure it's much more than this: Advanced Medium Range Air to Air Missile (AMRAM). Program Manager for the Missile Integration with the NATO Eurofighter, the Peace Onyx F-16, and others. You later directed the Airborne Warning and Control System Radar Development Team. You led the ACAT-1 U.S.-NATO Radar System Improvement Program. You were later the Director for Surveillance and Control Programs, including the E-3, E-4, and P-Shield. So many, so many different platforms across the United States Air Force. Many of them very old, very just very typical, as you would imagine a program to be like. Could you explain a bit more about what it was like working in those programs and some of the challenges you face, particularly when it comes to modernization? And like you said, with everything being run on software. Yeah. So here we get into uh, our traditional program management uh, uh, approaches have been very structured, uh, very risk averse, uh, and 
tend to uh, not take into account the cost of delay. Uh, and, and for some, some very complicated, very hardware-intensive programs, uh, that's maybe still appropriate, although we can argue about um, the level of oversight and, and bureaucracy. Um, but yeah, many of those programs were quite, quite traditional. Um, on AMRAM, you mentioned that was quite a while ago, but we spent three years getting a milestone C decision, a decision to actually go into production. That's on an air-to-air weapon that has proved to be the most effective air-to-air weapon ever. So, uh, so yeah, um, it, it's sort of a very structured, uh, gated process where the big deal is a milestone review, uh, typically at a very high level uh, of of rank, um, and uh, decisions tend to be quite risk diverse. I mean, it's a common expression to say anybody can say no, but for, for, but only one person can say yes. <laughs> well, it sounds like to have three years to get to a decision to then move forward. There's a lot of people that that say no along that along that yeah. way. So if I think that's a wonderful segue, if we could talk a bit more about how we've worked together with the Defense Innovation Unit in your office, we've had two projects together. One is Kessel Run, as we very briefly alluded to earlier. Uh, and the other one is more hardware focused, is this Cobra Dane radar effort. Could you please tell the audience a bit more, just 100,000 foot level, what are those programs? What is so special about them? And in yeah. terms of how we work together maybe not taking three years for decisions, right? What, what was so special about the process that we used? Yeah, so the big, the big deal from DIU is uh, agile software development. Um, I had not been exposed to it. Uh, and within the department, we were still doing, we were still developing software as if we were um, designing a, a new airplane or a new complicated airplane. Uh, and, and so, um, Ms. Costello, who is the civilian deputy uh, to the Service Acquisition Authority, uh, General Bender, now retired, and myself, uh, we went out to Dell Pivotal in San Francisco, and I saw Agile, Agile Software Development, or what's sometimes called DevOps, for the first time, and uh, instantly got how wrong we were developing software in the Air Force. Uh, and, uh, came back and, and, you know, within my portfolio, it was pretty easy to, to begin changing things. And that started with air operations centers, uh, Kessel Run, uh, uh, you know, was launched in a very innovative way. Um, it was kind of a shock to many people that our teams were able to stand up, uh, this organic uh, mostly organic software development capability in downtown Boston, uh, not on the not on an Air Force base, uh, and and move out. So the the single biggest thing that DIU uh, gave us is the the whole idea of agile software development. Um, the other program you mentioned, Coberdain. Coberdain's interesting. It's a very old, uh, very large um, early warning radar. Uh, that um, is still quite capable. Uh, largely, it's a sustainment challenge uh, to to keep it running. 
and it needs to run 24-7 uh, with very little maintenance periods. Um, but the the um, it's it's still running today on a VAX 6500, which may be older than Zach. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> let's, go, let's go with yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that's a problem. So one of the things that we wanted to do is rehost the software that's running on that very old VAX and a and a Spark. Uh, rehost that. Um, when I when I considered uh, the De, uh, traditional defense, uh, you know, major primes. Um, it, it led me to wonder whether they were the best uh, people, the uh, best companies to involve in a project like rehosting very old software on a modern uh, compute platform. And uh, that's that's why uh, my team sought out DIU and uh, put other transaction authorities in place. And that, that project's still ongoing. In fact, they recently awarded the uh, production phase. That's wonderful. Wow. And that's, have... that's where we work with organizations like Mr. Works so that it, it lives long beyond just our initial work together. That's a huge deal. I had no idea. Um, Kessel Run again, that was more just uh, the use of agile software or what does Kessel Run do in particular? Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> Kessel Run emerged out of a large traditional program that we had been, uh, trying to execute for 10 years. We spent five years just trying to get to a milestone B decision. That is the decision to actually enter development it took us five years to, to get that decision. And then five years later, uh, we still hadn't delivered anything. Um, so uh, when DIU East, DIU in Boston office was standing up, we actually wanted DIU to be very successful. We have a unique um, uh, ecosystem in the Boston technology uh corridor here. Uh, and DIU was a way for us to better uh, access, uh, to expand our access. And, uh, and, and we partner with uh, a number of amazing different organizations here in the Boston area, whether it's uh, the Northeastern Costas Research Center, uh, the Mass Challenges here, um, just just to name a couple, because I, I don't I don't want to go way down in the rabbit hole, but 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 we we looked at DIU as they as they stood up in office here as being uh, a a partner that we wanted to work with, and so when DIU asked us for project ideas, we identified the the idea of a tanker planning tool. It was actually an unfunded requirement in. Uh, Air Combat Command's priority list, it fell below their funding line. And it looked like, you know, a possible quick win. And it definitely was because it got a lot of attention. Could you speak a bit more about what that means for those that aren't familiar when we say unfunded requirement? I think there's a perception that, well, the DOD, we have 700 plus billion dollars. We can just do whatever we want. And you mentioned earlier, DAU's effort allowed you to walk into Pivotal and see agile software development. I think people would also assume, well, why wouldn't you just be able to do that without us? If you could just describe why it's not as simple as it sounds for someone in your position, one of only 14 PEOs, 
to be able to do these things quickly. Right. The department may have $700 billion, but I don't. <laughs> so <laughs> we we have the program funding that we have. And so we work closely with users and, and are using MagComs to prioritize um, what their capability needs are. And, a, and an unfunded requirement is simply a, a, a requirement that in those uh, rack and stack of priorities falls below the funding line. Um, and uh, so that that was just a case there. Um, how did DIU help us with Kessel Run? Uh, I I believe um, Colonel Enrique Odie, who has who, who has recently retired, um, he had a vision while he was at DIU to bring Agile uh, DevOps to the Air Force, and so um, he. He really was a key player in in this standing up of Kessel Run, um, so much so that um, uh, we actually hired him away from DIU and uh, uh, made him the commander of the detachment that now uh, operates Kessel Run. Uh, a really a renaissance guy. Uh, and... Uh, another part of the innovation of Kessel Run, because uh, Enrique Odi didn't have acquisition experience. He was not a program manager. He was a cyber uh, operations guy. Uh, so, you know, a, a lot of innovation in one place there. You also mentioned the tanker planning tool, and it was one of the things you brought to DIU as far as you know, trying to get a quick win there. What was, what was the tanker plane tool and why was that important? Oh yeah. That, so the, the, our air force is replete with these examples where we require our airmen to do repetitive, uh, tedious work that could be readily automated. And in the case of the tanker planning tool, you can picture, uh, markers and whiteboards, uh, trying to optimize, uh, refueling operations uh, dependent on what is going on in any given day. Um, that's clearly uh, an integer optimization problem that a computer can solve very quickly. So uh, that that's just one example. But there's there are workflow operations, you know, all over the Air Force where an airman has to write something down on a sticky note and walk across the room and input it into a different uh, data database. Um, it's just, a, uh, in part, um, many of our systems were developed, you know, before uh, so many things could be software controlled. Uh, so there weren't uh, bots, for example, or, uh, or some of the things that we take for granted now. Um, on behalf of our airmen, though, we need to accelerate that kind of technology adoption, because we ask airmen who at home have access to uh, many different tools and they're used to using them, and we bring them in and require them to do things very tedious that are very tedious and very manual. Right. Sounds like you had the systems, but they weren't talking to each other, and and it was required in that manual input. And uh, this tank plane tool uh, made things much more efficient, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people really love that. Yeah, in fact, um, uh, the tanker planning tool immediately started saving fuel and required deploying fewer tankers. 
that's something that I think we also have a sometimes struggle to deal with is figuring out how much something is worth, what an effort is worth in terms of time and savings. And and Take Your Planning Tool was really the first project for us where it was clear, like, okay, this is definitely giving us a huge return on investment as we calculated. And I don't know if these numbers have changed about $130 million a year, just not flying tankers we don't need. I mean, it's just free money, and essentially. I'm curious if if that those numbers have changed over time, but it was very easy to, to quantify when we were uh, when we were transitioning the program. Yeah, and and that's and that's part of what I saw immediately when I was out uh, in San Francisco. Our the immediate recognition that our traditional way of doing things ignores the cost of delay, and that that our approach to software had been, you know, clearly defined. Uh, hundreds of requirements, uh, make sure we have uh, a plan from start to finish uh, and and do all those things. Uh, in the meantime, you could have implemented a software change that saved money that or that provided uh, warfighting capability very quickly. So um, that that cost of delay is something that the traditional approach does not acknowledge. Speaking of the traditional approach, you mentioned Enrique, and of course, I don't think I've had a conversation where I haven't mentioned, he hasn't come up in some way. He's the one thing that unifies the entire defense innovation ecosystem. Um, but he, like myself, we had no idea anything about acquisitions. He's a cyber officer. I was an intel officer, both doing projects. Um, in, in some ways, look at it both ways. One, running with scissors. Two, taking a fresh approach to acquisition. And I know that for some folks, that doesn't always feel right or sometimes rubs people the wrong way. And I know the tanker planning tool and the whole effort, it certainly wasn't a foregone conclusion. Could you speak a bit about your first impressions of the project of DIU, of this radical approach to acquisition, um, as well as any other perceptions that you saw across your your community? And did it change? Yeah, so uh, I, I was absolutely... Uh, not opposed to DIU. In fact, I was very excited that a Boston office was standing up. Um, um, as we as we were both executing the traditional program and tanker planning tool was was being rolled out, um, my only objection was there were some claims made that clearly were over the top. Right, so I I remember. Uh, the lead for DIU at the time said, well, well, DIU could do the program that the Air Force is doing and could do it for ten, one-tenth of the cost and in probably less than a year. Um, on, on the one hand, uh, uh, I'm sure he knew a lot of things. On the other hand, he, he didn't have a clue what the AOC weapon system actually is and how complicated it is and uh, and what it would actually take. and so. Despite the amazing things that Kessel Run has been able to do, uh, one could argue a few years later, you know, we're still not everywhere we want to be. So, so uh, there were some pretty wild claims made associated with the tanker planning tool, um, which which actually wasn't necessary because it was patently obvious that that it was a, a better approach to developing software. It's great. And in partnership, it sounds like we came up with something that worked. So we've met in the middle for something that provides good capability, but is also feasible 
Yeah. So I've I've uh, I've been um, critical of traditional acquisition approaches for a long time, but in in many ways we have to live with the system that we have. I've been uh, interested for a long time with this idea of we've got this traditional program, but what if I had a small team over here and told them do everything you can and beat the traditional program? Uh, that would be great, except for I don't have enough people to do that. Um, so I would say that uh, the Air Force did have a choice. Um, it could have stuck with a traditional approach and continued to try and make a failing contractor deliver something uh, and and attempt to crush, uh, you know, the small team that was working tanker planning. Uh, but there were some really strong you know, key leaders like General Rangian uh, in theater who were supporting that effort. And uh, and I think the Air Force made a very good decision to um, to double down on that kind of tanker planning tool approach. And what came out of that was, was Kessel Run, which today is a pretty impressive thing to see. Obviously, you're going back to the speed at which we develop things uh, is really important. We're seeing more and more of that. It makes me think of this new world since coronavirus has come out and it's kind of changed the entire world and, and crippled it in a lot of ways. So what important work do you think needs to be done here by both you know, commercial companies, pri- public-private partnerships that need to be thinking at, uh, on defense? How do we defend against these kind of problems? So what we've been doing uh, since this uh, onset, if you will, um, has been uh, for the first time recognizing that what we're doing is actually, what we do every day is actually mission essential. Uh, That hasn't ever happened before. So in the past, with a a government shutdown, uh, we were all furloughed. Um, So I was, I was even in my current position, I was furloughed um, uh, a few years ago. Um, so this became a sudden realization that um, ac- the acquisition, what we do either affects near-term readiness or it definitely affects long-term readiness or it has a huge impact on the defense industrial base. And so suddenly we're trying to keep everything going in the midst of this uh, pandemic that we're in and trying to do everything we can virtually. Um, So we saw some program impacts almost immediately uh, and then reversed our mindset. Our job is not just to capture program impacts, it's to mitigate them. And so we've accumulated uh, over time now um, um, a, a a set of ways to try and mitigate um, uh, delays in programs. Uh, one of those is we've learned to do amazing things remotely. Uh, right now, this week, there's an ongoing operational test of mission planning software, and it's it's being done completely virtually. Never been done before. That requires a, a really close partnership uh, with the, the MAGCOM we're supporting uh, to be able to do that. Um, and, and we're, we're still installing windows 10 patches in, uh, the long range radars up in Alaska, but we're doing it 
remotely with reachback support. So the, the sustainer on the site is actually installing the patch in accordance with a set of instructions that we send and someone's on the phone, you know, walking them through that. Much like this podcast. <laughs> I'm surprised to hear it's not Windows 3.1. So that's some progress. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so that's the the number one thing we've been doing is those kinds of virtual things. Number two is elevating up uh, the level of mission essential, elevating that. So instead of just my program manager reaching across to try and get support, uh, they elevate that up and I might engage or my boss might engage or somebody else uh, until it's it's recognized. So we had an asset out at a, a radar range at Point Magoo. They had just shut down for the coronavirus. Um, so we, we pushed the level up to elevate until someone uh, out there recognized, yeah, what, what you're asking for is mission essential and we'll go get it done. So... Uh, so that's what, that's what we've been doing in this environment. I don't know if there are lessons in there for commercial companies. I will say right behind those two are simply a set of things that industry on its own has done in order to keep things moving, like um, you know going to multiple shifts to still be able to operate with uh, social distancing. So uh, that's what we've been doing. But... Um, I, I think we're all learning a lot in this experience. Do you think this opens up opportunities for groups like us and DIU to do more projects that bring in current commercial technology that generally is built with remote operations and and uh, and current operations in mind? Yeah. So right now there's an expression and a new acronym uh, being used within the Air Force. It's called Return to Full Capacity. RTFC. My response to that right now is we are operating at full capacity. And that's that's the difference uh, in the kind of work that we do. Not everyone can do that, but we are operating today at full capacity. So it's kind of a shock. Last week, um, I was invited to speak at an event in Oklahoma City for 20 minutes. And it was a shock because my mindset is, you know, travel is a problem. And why would I go all the way to Oklahoma city in order to speak for 20 minutes? But I did it last year. <laughs> so yeah, it's, there's a whole lot of lessons learned out of all this. Wow. Uh, it's not unusual for a senior industry vice president, for example, to uh, fly in and have a 30 minute courtesy visit with me to discuss something and then fly home. Uh, and, and we did that. Um, now we're doing it with phone calls and I'm, I'm thinking, why would we go back to, to doing it the in-person way? It's much more efficient, uh, much friendlier on the environment for sure. As we wrap up, I, and I, I want to first thank you so much for the time you've spent with us, but I do uh, want to ask one question because, um, we just want to highlight the importance of working with the DOD and private partnerships. So what's the one piece of advice you'd offer leadership at both the DOD wanting to explore working with private sector solutions and also maybe your companies wanting to work with the DOD? Uh, it's all about, it's all about outreach and new partnerships. 
because there are a lot of great communities out there. I, DIU is one. I mentioned Mass Challenge as well, and NCID. I don't know what the acronym stands for, NCID, but but there are um, there are groups you can partner with who actually are uh, uh, very experienced at developing startups and small businesses. And what the Air Force is trying to do is get in at the ground floor. Um, so we want to create more companies that want to work with the Department of Defense, not fewer. And the trend we've been on for a long time, uh, you know, is uh, not positive with respect to um, how many uh, uh, major defense industry partners wound up with. In fact, if we if we don't act on this, fewer and fewer companies will want to do work with the Department of Defense. And that's where uh, D- the DIU mission fits in. And it's where uh, a lot of other organizations can help. We couldn't agree more. So Mr. Wirt, as an Air Force officer, I'm a bit biased. I think our service is pretty good about working with commercial companies, but not all services are, and certainly not all of the Air Force is. You've really been a champion for working with commercial companies through organizations like DIU. Do you have any advice for your fellow PEOs or the rest of the DOD on how to work with these companies, what the benefits would be for their programs? Uh, absolutely. Although I'm always hesitant to advise another PEO, uh, they're very experienced. Part of it's the nature of my portfolio. Uh, it's it's a, a lot of software, a lot of uh, uh, legacy programs that could benefit from technology. And that's, and that's the key recognition is um, if you look at Agile DevOps, we didn't learn that from inside the department. We didn't learn it from our traditional uh, defense primes. We actually had to learn it from outside. And you immediately have to wonder, um, what else do we not know about? Uh, And so uh, when we do work with DIU, our mass challenge, or any of these uh, outside groups, uh, we get exposed to what the commercial world's doing. And they are ahead of us in technology. That's a problem. So that's why we're interested in working with different kinds of uh, companies. Um, so we we have um, we have projects that uh, benefit from both. So we we have uh, large defense primes who are who have the domain knowledge. You know, working in command and control or working in uh, defense radars. Uh, but mixing those with uh, a set of uh, maybe smaller, uh, fairly recent startups who have niche capabilities like configuration management of a software tool pipeline. Uh, that's probably not something you want uh, uh, major defense prime doing. So that's our big interest. Um, it's it's the realization, number one, uh, We've been on a small business push for quite a while, but the realization that the commercial world is ahead of us in a lot of these technologies, we need to catch up. Mr. Word, thank you so much for joining us today. I know I learned quite a bit. I'm sure our audience did as well. Yes. Thank you for connecting the dots. Uh, Hey, thank you, Zach. Thanks, Dan. Good conversation. We appreciate you taking the time today. Once again, thank you so much, Steve, for joining us today and sharing some incredible insight into your work. 
you are truly an expert. It's really cool to see the VIU in action and creating solutions for our Air Force. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. We'll be back soon with more about the impressive work the Defense Innovation Unit is doing. Defense Innovation from Tanks to Teleportation is created in partnership between the U.S. Department of Defense and Founding Media. To learn more about the Defense Innovation Unit, please visit the links in our show notes. Thank you, as always, for listening.